Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. gentlemen and welcome to the first installment of the Daisy Cousins show. I'm Daisy Cousins and I am absolutely thrilled to be here for your viewing pleasure on ADH TV. I look forward to bringing you a healthy dose of truth, fairness and good old-fashioned entertainment every week, two nights a week starting now. And boy do we have a cracker of a debut for you this evening. Joining me in just a minute is the wonderful and eminently sensible Carolee Katzenbarnes of Money News Radio 6PR to give her fabulous take on the climate extremists who sought to terrorize the Perth home of Woodside Energy CEO Meg O'Neill and the climate anxiety gripping young people in the Western world. Later on, you are in for a treat with YouTuber, commentator, and international sensation Chris Coles, aka Mr. Reagan, to discuss the recent indictment of President Donald Trump, just who would make the better presidential nominee out of Trump, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, and wildcard Vivek Ramaswamy, as well as the latest on Dr. Anthony Fauci and gain-of-function research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. But first, over the past few years, the hysterical rhetoric about climate change has gone from the sublime to the ridiculous. In the 20th and early 21st centuries, it was generally known as global warming. However, when predictions like the notion that children won't know what snow is, as reported by The Independent in the year 2000, just weren't coming true, alarmists in the media, politics, and unelected global bodies like the United Nations ushered in the term climate change. This, of course, meant cold weather events and natural disasters could also be presented as evidence of a growing global crisis rather than solely hot weather things like droughts and forest fires. But in recent years, with the needle still not shifting quite enough on public panic, terms such as global heating as opposed to global warming started popping into the fray, along with language like climate crisis and climate catastrophe. For example, in 2019, notorious lefty rag The Guardian officially changed its style guide to introduce terms that, as they put it, more accurately describe the environmental crises facing the world. Instead of climate change, the preferred terms are climate emergency, crisis or breakdown, 
and global heating is favoured over global warming, although the original terms are not bad. We want to ensure that we are being scientifically precise, while also communicating clearly with readers on this very important issue," said the editor-in-chief, Catherine Viner. The phrase climate change, for example, sounds rather passive and gentle, when what scientists are talking about is a catastrophe for humanity. But exit the sublime, entered the ridiculous. Last week, United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres dramatically decreed that the age of global warming is over and we are now in the age of, wait for it, global boiling. And for scientists it is unequivocal. Humans are to blame. All this is entirely consistent with predictions and repeated warnings. The only surprise is the speed of the change. Climate change is here, it is terrifying, and it is just the beginning. The era of global warming has ended, the era, the era of global boiling has arrived. The air is unbreathable, the heat is unbearable, and the level of fossil fuel profits and climate inaction is unacceptable. Leaders must Live. This was followed not only by breathless, affirming media coverage, even a couple of Australian politicians had a go. Behold, member for Wentworth, Allegra Spender. My question is for the Prime Minister. Prime Minister, Europe is burning, and Australians remember our own black summer with fear for the future. The UN Secretary General has said we have entered a period of global boiling. Do you agree with his assessment? And if so, why does your government continue to approve new coal mines, continue to delay crucial reform to environmental laws, and still hasn't delivered a national risk assessment? And my personal favourite, Senator Nick McKim of the Greens Party. The era of global warming has ended, the era, the era of global boiling has arrived. Two moments later. The planet is literally cooking. Mate, you can shut your mouth. Uh, Senator you can Senator, shut your Senator mouth. McKim, People Senator are McKim, dying Senator McKim, resume you your seat. sociopaths like you. Senator McKim, I'm not going to cop interjections from sociopaths like Senator Canavan. Senator I will McKim, not cop it. And what they've got to answer for is death, disease, displacement, starvation, people dying of thirst, arable farming lands turning into desert, and most likely billions of people dead by the end of this century, and the collapse of the ecosystems that actually support all human life on this planet. That's what people like Senator Canavan have got to answer for. Heavens, what a tantrum. Aside from the ridiculousness of the boiling analogy, given the fact that boiling refers to the point of heat when liquid turns into gas, this is just another push from the nefarious globalist overlords at the UN to insinuate that something is unprecedented, when in fact there is plenty of precedent. Take, for example, the recent media hysteria over how apparently this July was the hottest month in 120,000 years. 
That simply isn't true. In fact, two of America's top climate scientists have slammed the claims that July was supposedly the hottest month on record. As reported in The Australian, Cliff Mass, professor of atmospheric sciences at the University of Washington, said the public was being misinformed on a massive scale following a deluge of news reports that summer heat waves in the US and Europe had pushed July's average temperature above 17 degrees and allegedly to the highest level in 120,000 years. John Christie, a professor of atmospheric sciences at the University of Alabama at Huntsville, said heat waves in the first half of the 20th century were at least as intense as those of more recent decades, based on consistent, long-term weather stations going back over a century. I haven't seen anything yet this summer that's an all-time record for these long-term stations. 1936 still holds by far the record for the most number of stations with the hottest ever temperatures, he told The Australian, referring to the year of a great heat wave in North America that killed thousands. Professor Christie also stated that an explosion of the number of weather stations in the US and globally had made historical comparisons tricky because some stations only went back a few years. Meanwhile, creeping urbanization had subjected existing weather stations to extra heat. For example, in Houston, Texas, the center of the city is now between six and nine degrees Fahrenheit hotter than the surrounding countryside, according to Professor Christie. Not to mention the fact that according to Professor Mass, the weather was radically warmer about a thousand years ago, during what's known as the medieval warm period when agriculture thrived in parts of now ice-covered Greenland. But sure, climate demagogues, keep up with the petrifying rhetoric. The more doomsday milestones you set that fail to come to fruition, the clearer your nefarious intentions for global dominance are becoming. Joining me now to discuss all of that and more is media commentator and my very dear broadcaster friend, Carolee Katzenbarnas. Carolee, how are you this evening? I'm great. Thank you very much, Daisy. Fantastic show. Lovely to be with you in the audience. Lovely to be with you too. Now, Carolee, global boiling. What do you make of that comment by the UN Secretary General? I think somebody wants to extend their current tenure and their current term. <laughs> I mean, look, it's a vested industry, isn't it? I mean, it's like any of these causes. When they find a solution, what are they actually going to do? But talk about using alarmist language and being pretty catastrophic and whipping up, you know, a lot of hysteria over something that really doesn't need to be whipped up. I think it was an ill-informed comment and um, I don't know where his basis is coming from. I don't think anyone knows where his basis is coming from. Like, utterly ridiculous that he thought to say that. And speaking of alarmist, you know, um, terrifying rhetoric, that's really affecting our young people. And in fact, a survey conducted by The Lancet, which is, you know, peer-reviewed medical journal, asked 10,000 respondents between the ages of 16 to 25 their thoughts and feelings surrounding climate change and the governmental responses to it. 59% of them said they were extremely worried, while 84% were at least moderately worried. 
and more than 45% of respondents said that their feelings about climate change negatively affected their daily life and functioning. Carolee, is it any wonder our youth are falling behind in basic literacy and numeracy when this climate garble is constantly being shoved down their throats? Look, Daisy, it's really sad as well. I'm a mum. I don't ever bring my kids into it, but I always try and have balance. I see what's being taught in the school curriculum, and it really is an indoctrination and a brainwashing of these young children. I mean, you can go into any primary school. They'll be able to tell you how long it takes to break down a plastic bag, and there are sustainable garden beds with seeds in them. But get them to do their times tables or basic literacy or numer you know, numeracy and reading, and they struggle. And we know that more and more kids are being diagnosed diagnosed with learning disabilities, there needs to be extra support. I think priorities really have gone wrong. It's also very sad to see that, you know, Australia, our, our budget for education has increased exponentially over the decades, yet our results, when you look at the international tests, are getting less. So something is not right. You know, we've now got we've now got the federal government that wants to redo teachers' degrees, and they've got to you know meet a certain a certain bench level in order to study a teaching degree. This all filters through to our young people, and I really think again, like the UN Secretary General's comment. This is a vested interest. It's an industry now with climate change. You know, if kids question it, they're not able to question anything. And I think it's sad because I think at the end of the day, young people need to realise that, yes, when they're 16 and 17, anyone who's aged 25 or 30 is considered ancient to them. <laughs> but at the end of the day, in order to live in the world, you need to have good literacy, numeracy, be able to speak, look people in the eye, know how to take rejection, know how the world works, be able to go and get a job and be able to make money for yourself and also if you have a young family. Um, find somewhere to live. We know that that is difficult and that's another topic for another time. But I just think with all this alarmist stuff with the climate change, it is completely out of balance. You know, there is a place for it and there are different views on climate change. But day-to-day -day living, I mean, it's really sad that kids are thinking that the world is going to end and they've got anxiety and things. The anxiety they should be having is about hopefully passing exams, getting a job and really being able to make a life for themselves as well. Mm, exactly. I think it is just in, in my opinion that the anxiety drilled into young people nowadays, especially the ones in school, is just bordering on child abuse. It is so completely mm. unethical. Now, it is. Western Australian Premier Roger Cook has recently lambasted the ABC for allowing a camera crew to document a group of rabid climate activists as they carried out their plan to spray paint Woodside Energy CEO Meg O'Neill's home in Perth. Should Australians be concerned that their supposedly impartial publicly funded broadcaster is facilitating this fanatical behaviour? Well, it just shows that the ABC is really an arm of, of left-wing activism, doesn't it? And I mean, I hate to say it, but this is this is a taxpayer-funded organisation that gets, you know, millions and millions of dollars every year. I'd love to be the head of the ABC. Give me the job <laughs> and I will turn that organisation around like you just wouldn't believe. But no, look, I have to say it's been front page news and rightly so across Western Australia. It's been condemned by everyone. Um, 
WA Premier Roger Cook has done the right thing. He's rung, he's also written to senior management and the head of the ABC. So the latest that I can tell you from what we know is, yes, the four activists, they went to her home. Um, of course, it's all allegedly, it's been before the courts, but they apparently went there, I think, their intention was to throw paint on the property and chain themselves to the outside gates. Meg O'Neill's partner and daughter lives there and it's been seen as a step too far. Now, only a few hours ago, there was a press conference that was held by one of the activists that was released on bail. She was a 19-year-old student. She was actually a student at one of, um, I should say, Western Australia's most elite schools. It's called Perth Modern. It's where the alumni of Bob Hawke, Kim Beasley went. It's a select entry school, probably for our Melbourne viewers, like on the equivalent of Melbourne High. But one of the other activists that was arrested was actually one of the teachers that oh. was there during her tenure. So you wonder wow. what he was teaching. He was there to teach English. So the stories come out in the corridors and this and that. However, I digressed. <laughs> this 19-year-old um, female activist, I won't mention her, don't want to give her any more notoriety, but she held a press conference once she was released on bail. Initially, she didn't want to take any questions, and then she did, and then shock horror in her in her um you know doc martens with her smartphone with critical minerals and all bits and pieces she actually said that she admitted she was unable to answer questions about the transition to renewable energy <gasps> saying that they're a matter for scientists and not a university student Oh, and she said, and she God. said that she doesn't regret being arrested, but what she regrets is that the police took a pair of her shoes and <laughs> also a handbag. And I think, don't quote me, but I think it was a pair of Doc Martens. Now, I am not a scientist and I don't have a science background, but I do know that Doc Martens are quite a few few hundred dollars and I'm sure in some process of making Doc Martens there must have been some use of gas or energy <laughs> the same with a smartphone right so you've got to put it all together you've got to put it all together but it's really horrific because also and there's been a lot of wider debate as you would know is that these public figures being targeted in their homes and their family and they used to be a thing if you've got a gripe with someone you know a public figure of a company that's your gripe you don't involve their family mm. Meg O'Neill lives in, a, in an expensive area of Perth but it really doesn't matter where a CEO lives it's frightening and of course you know, an ABC Four Corners crew from, as we say over here, the eastern states, I don't know if it was Sydney or Melbourne, came over. Roger Cook, the Premier, is angry because they evidently knew what the activists were going to do. They didn't actually involve the police. And I've been in media a long time, and there's no reason why an ABC Four Corners crew would be travelling all the way over to Western Australia, now that our border is open, mm. just to go and just to go and sightsee. It, it's really sad. It's really sad because it also is delusional. And as I said, this woman has shot herself in the foot by admitting that she's unable to answer questions about the transition to renewable energy and she can't say which scientists work that she has read to actually you know <laughs> solidify her current opinions the honestly this whole situation 
blows my mind from the ABC jetting over to, you know, supposedly yeah. do this to the 19 year old, you know, probably preaching from the tower that she's the most righteous person in the world, but not being able to answer questions on renewable energy. I mean, the state of the world and the state of the education system uh, is really very much in question now. And I really and look it's forward. Sad. It's sad because this is, this is a Perth modern, is a taxpayer funded school. They are the elite of the elite. They always top, you know, top the, top the, the state with um, their ATAR and their waste which is west australian certificate of education results but it's really sad because what have they been being taught especially when one of the teachers mm. has also been arrested you know he was only there for a couple of years but it's really sad because also as we know whenever these young school kids are involved and she's not young she's a uni student but whenever we see students involved in climate you know in protests they're not walking to a protest They've got their buy a car. Mm -hmm. They've got the smartphone. They're probably scrolling for their coffee order or whatever it is. That you know, the brain doesn't seem to compute that. You know, Woodside is also providing a lot of jobs. All this industry, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, my God, we've probably got the Japanese government wondering whether the Australian government will end up banning the export. You know, of gas. I mean, it, there's always flow-on effects, and um, you know, this university protest was going on and on about you know the Burrup Harbour. It's you know Australia's largest exporter of LNG, and it's big enough to be a country. Well, my goodness, how many thousands of jobs are being created yeah. for employment? How many people are being able to live and do it? If we get rid of gas, we're going to go back to the Stone Age. Yep. Exactly. It's needed. It's needed in so many areas of life, not just cooking, but most processes, whether it's clothing or whatever is needed. And ironically, we had a big power cut in the northern suburbs of Perth the other night oh, and thousands of homes are without power. You know, I've got a gas hot top and things, and but it suddenly it suddenly hits you. You know, we're mm. being ridiculous about this. We absolutely are. And, and speaking of uh, things that are ridiculous, speaking of fanatics and speaking of gas, Chairman Dan of the Socialist Republic of Danistan, formerly known as the state of Victoria, has banned the usage of gas in new Victorian homes from the start of 2024. Now, this, of course, should come as no surprise to anyone, considering that we're talking about the same bloke who placed Victorians under house arrest for weeks on end a couple of years ago. But, Carolee, I have to say, the sheer lunacy of this policy still is not lost on me. Well, that's exactly right. And I must admit, when um, Chairman Dan made that announcement, a lot of West Australian um, groups actually said, oh, the West Australian government should go the same way. It's just silly. There is, there is an, there's room for both. And as I just said, without power cut, there's room for both. I mean, electricity grids around Australia are, you know, are not supported as they are. They're overloaded. You can't cope with it. There, there is a place for renewable energy, but mm. you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You just can't because there's always a price to pay. And of course, the nuclear question. That, you know, if they're so into net zero, let's have that debate. Let's have that discussion. People do say Australia is probably more mature than it was 40 or 50 years ago. And that's the way to get straight to net zero. But of course, you know, the activists, oh, shock, horror, etc. They seem to live in an ideal world. And the well, it's more of like a, um, you know, just a just a utopia. But but that world doesn't exist. I mean, they really need to take a long, hard look. And as I said, without gas, and we've heard people um, throughout WA media, people that actually work in the alternative energy space that have said gas is needed. 
in every facet of life, whether, as I said, whether it's clothing or something else that is made, cooking, household stuff, you can't just turn off gas. Mm. I mean, I hate to say it, but the Industrial Revolution was important. It's given us the way of life that we've got today. And um, I don't like the brainwashing of kids. I don't like the brainwashing, you know, the misinformation that is out there, because it's also demonising people that are trying to have a very constructive, mature debate. It's always amazing, isn't it? When we're able to look objectively and say there's room for both, you're going to get activists that say, no, 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 it's got to be just this. I mean, I could say with a renewable energy, batteries, well, what happens to them? Yeah. What do we do? Dig them in a dig them in a hole in the ground and 50 <laughs> years out. I, I often say, so we've had Collie in Western Australia. That power station has closed down. Collie is known for coal. Mm. In 50 years' time, when most of us won't be here, they'll rediscover coal and they'll say, oh, what a great idea. Mm. It's really worrying because also Australia seems to be moving too fast with this but the backup infrastructure just isn't there. Mm. And the most important thing is, because I am a young, I am a strong supporter of young people and younger generations, they don't realise that what is ahead of them are huge amounts of taxes. And you think, if you think life is difficult now, how do they think all this is going to be paid for? Mm. Exactly. You know what, Carolee, I'll say it once and I'll say it once again. Taxation, although yes, everyone has to pay tax, and to the ATO, I do always pay my taxes on time and in full, but taxation is theft. There, I've said it, and I will continue to say it. Carolee Katzenbarnas, you are wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on the show this evening. We really appreciate your time. Well, it's another week and another Democrat plot to undermine Joe Biden's strongest opponent in the 2024 presidential race, former President Donald Trump. This time in the form of an indictment over, well, I'm not really sure. Officially, Trump has been charged with four counts. Conspiracy to defraud the United States, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, Obstruction of and attempt to obstruct an official proceeding, which relates to the accusation that Trump somehow incited the January 6, 2021 riot at the Capitol building. And finally, conspiracy against rights, that is, the right to vote and have your vote counted. However, if you delve into the detail of the full indictment, it appears that Special Prosecutor for the Department of Justice, Jack Smith, is trying to criminally charge Trump for stating his opinion that the 2020 presidential election was stolen from him by various nefarious means, and then for taking steps to rectify that through litigation, all of which presidential candidates have a legal right to do, by the way. Nevertheless, Jack Smith has chosen to bring forward this indictment accusing Trump of building widespread mistrust through pervasive and destabilizing lies about election fraud. Well, I'm sorry, but if Trump's actions after the 2020 election constitute pervasive and destabilizing lies that threaten the so-called integrity of American elections, Surely we have to also indict Hillary Clinton for claiming for years that she was, in fact, the rightful winner of the 2016 election because Russia supposedly hacked it. And not just Hillary Clinton. Take a look at this. My mind. Would you be my vice presidential candidate? <laughs> <laughs>
Folks, look, I absolutely agree. Trump didn't actually win the election in 2016. He lost the election, and he was put into office because the Russians interfered. Trump knows he's an illegitimate president. The president-elect, although legally elected, is not legitimate. I don't see this president-elect as a legitimate president. You said you believe that Russia's interference altered the outcome of the election. I do. We have a president who, if in fact it is proven, uh, has been assisted by the Russians and may in fact not be a legitimate president. The one thing that Trump is fearful of uh, when it comes to his being president is that finally we will see how illegitimate his victory actually was. I have an objection. I object to the 15 votes from the state of North Carolina. I object because people are horrified. He's an illegitimate president. Um, hello? Jack Smith? You there? Why are you not indicting all of those Democrats and then some? for their destabilizing lies about election fraud. And make no mistake, they were destabilizing. Look at the climate of division, resentment, and eventual political violence these lies created in the USA, culminating in the infamous 2020 Summer of Love, when radical leftists and Black Lives Matter rioted for three months across the country. Not to mention leftist media outlet Politico touting the so-called faithless electors in 2016 who had signed onto an attempt to block Donald Trump from achieving an electoral college majority. An effort intended not only to deny Trump the presidency, but to undermine the legitimacy of the electoral college itself. This isn't a case of mere whataboutism. This is a legitimate calling out of a gross double standard in American politics. Why are Democrats cheered on when they question the result of presidential elections, but Republicans are indicted for it? Particularly when, as Time Magazine pointed out in an infamous 2021 article entitled, The Secret History of the Shadow Campaign That Saved the 2020 Election, there were, in fact, massive efforts underway to swing the election in favor of Joe Biden. As the article put it, a well-funded cabal of powerful people ranging across industries and ideologies, working together behind the scenes to influence perceptions, change rules and laws, steer media coverage and control the flow of information, they were not rigging the election, they were fortifying it. They not only admitted it, they bragged about it. And yet Donald Trump is getting indicted? Please. Joining me to discuss all that and more is YouTuber and international commentary sensation Chris Coles, also known on YouTube as Mr. Reagan. Chris, it is wonderful to have you here. How are you? Fantastic, and it's great to see you again, Daisy. Thank you, Chris. Always great to see you. Always love to chat. Now, down to business. Chris, in order to put Donald Trump behind bars, the DOJ is going to have to prove beyond reasonable doubt that Trump engaged in disinformation, that is, willfully spreading information that he supposedly knew not to be true, rather than misinformation, which is information he thought was true but wasn't. Now, Chris, mm -hmm. 
especially considering there was, in fact, an effort to swing the election in favor of Joe Biden. How can these people possibly purport that contesting an election result, which Donald Trump had every right to do, somehow amounts to spreading disinformation and breaking the law? I got to push back on you a little here. I don't even <laughs> think disinformation mm. is is illegal in this case. Uh, when when a politician lies, right? Uh, it's not typically considered illegal. It's considered normal, I would say. Uh, but in the case of Donald Trump, I don't think he was lying. I believe that he genuinely thought that there was some election fraud. I genuinely believe that there was some election fraud. What the extent of that election fraud is, I don't know. He wanted that to be investigated by various uh, states. I wanted to be investigated. Almost everybody on the right wanted to be investigated. We were all very suspicious, especially since everything was mail-in voting since COVID, you know, because of COVID and all that stuff. So, it, it, you know, it was a very contentious election. You know, 81 million votes, the most votes in American history Joe Biden got. Did anyone really believe that? No, of course <laughs> not. So, you know, so anybody who was contesting the election to some degree, one one degree or another, genuinely believe that there was something fishy going on. It's not just they're not just proposing that Donald Trump intentionally lied about the election. They're proposing that he intentionally lied about the election specifically to incite violence, to get people to riot at the Capitol. You know, you got, you got all those middle aged suburban <laughs> housewives and, and dads run around taking selfies in the Capitol. But it was the you know, the most violent insurrection in American history it was worse than the Civil War. You know, you know that they're lying when they use all of these uh, these terms to make what happened seem much worse than it actually was. You know what they're trying to do here. And every single step of the way, when they accuse Donald Trump of something, this is a pattern that I've noticed. It always just by some mir miraculous chance happens to coincide with a law that if found guilty of that particular crime, there is a very specific consequence, which is that you cannot run for public office. If you're caught uh, inciting an insurrection, you can't run for public office. If you're caught taking documents out of the White House, you can't run for public office. It's a, some crimes have that as a specific uh, prohibition. You, you cannot uh, you can no longer run for public office. Strange, though, strange that Democrats always seem to find that Donald Trump has or they accuse him of committing crimes that have that specific consequence that. I, it's just a coincidence, I assume, because Democrats are uh, honest and perfect. Oh, of course. So are the, the party of, of honesty and decency and transparency and tolerance and, and all of that jazz. And it's, it's amazing that you bring up coincidences. Because speaking of the old coinky-dink, as, you know, our generation likes to call it, it seems that, you know, at least over the last three months, every time Trump has been, you know, indicted for something, it's happened the day after some information has broken about the Biden family and Hunter Biden. Biden and, you know, their dealings with Burisma, etc. That's surely just a coincidence as well, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what's bizarre to me, Daisy, is that they, they're still going with Joe Biden. <laughs> the Democrats are still holding on to this guy like, like he's, he's gold or something, you know? As like Joe Biden's possibly the worst candidate in the American history. And they're like, no, we got to stick with this guy. Forget Governor Newsom. Forget the handsome governor of California. <laughs> I mean, he's pretty crap as well, but at least he's coherent when he speaks. You know what I mean? Joe Biden, why are they sticking to this guy? This is my guess because it's it seems it's baffling, right? It seems completely crazy. My guess is that Joe Biden is so compromised. Joe Biden is so malleable. He's so delusional at this point, or, or I shouldn't say delusional. I should say uh, his brain has deteriorated to such a degree mm. that he is the perfect puppet 
if you are a group of deep state actors, right, you want to create this oligarchy in America, right, this totalitarian regime, what a better guy to carry out your orders than a guy who can barely function and is totally compromised so that you can blackmail him all the time, right? We know he took bribes from China. We know he took bribes from Ukraine. We know he took bribes from Romania and the Russians and basically everywhere around the world that has a contentious relationship with America, all these criminals. He's taken bribes from these people. We know this. We know he's compromised. Is the FBI out there blackmailing him? Is it Obama? Who Who, who is it? Probably everybody. But the point is the people who have control of Joe Biden have control of the White House, have control of America, and they don't want to give that up. They don't want anybody else running because there is a chance that they could maybe lose that control or somebody might stand up against them, which they cannot have. So they like the malleability of brain dead Joe Biden even though he doesn't seem like a good candidate at all. That's why they like him. That's my theory. I think you're right, honestly. I mean, and that's one of the reasons they're so terrified of Trump, because, you know, they keep going after him because he is the only person who stood up to them. He's the only one who pushed back against the establishment. And for all Trump's flaws, you know, he has to be yeah. given credit for that. And I always respect him for it. And now, look, speaking of Trump and presidential uh, nominations, uh, the right side of politics in America is quite polarized at the moment in terms of their support for either Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis in the upcoming Republican primaries. You know, there's, it's quite a fractured right at the moment. Chris, what do you think, Trump or DeSantis? And remember, this is a judgment-free zone. You can, you can say whatever you want. Let me tell you, America is no longer divided. America is backing Donald Trump. It used to be there was an argument for a while and I was going on. I was talking to people, you know, in the real world. I was going to Republican events. I was talking to actual Republican voters and I was asking them what they thought. And it was about a 50 50 split for a while there. A lot of people really loved Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis is great. There's a couple of problems with Ron DeSantis, though. One, he's not a billionaire. <laughs> and and two, and two, he's he's not a proven asset. We know that Trump is a proven asset. We know what he can do in the White House. We're not exactly sure what DeSantis can do. We we think we know, but we he's not actually done it. He's not been the president. So we we're guessing at this point. But the but the problem with uh, DeSantis not being a billionaire, it sounds ridiculous. Like a billionaire is going to be a better president, right? Mm. But with Trump, he can't really be bought. What are you going to bribe Trump with? You know what I mean? You can bribe DeSantis. You can blackmail DeSantis. You can find dirt on him or you can uh, manufacture dirt on him. With Trump, I don't think they can do that. Trump, they've tried, obviously, a lot to do it. And Trump has withstood all of that. So Trump has proven himself to be more or less bulletproof. He can't be bribed. Th there's one more thing. There's a third issue there here that's just sort of my take. I, I haven't heard a lot of people talk about this. Ron DeSantis really isn't that funny. Mm. Donald Trump is hilarious. Yeah. You watch any Donald Trump speech, there's at least <laughs> one moment where you will laugh. Even if you're a Democrat, you're going to be like, okay, that was a good one. You know, Ron DeSantis doesn't really do that. He doesn't have the hang of it. You know, and I think it's because Donald Trump is what we call a natural, right? He can get up in front of an audience and he's not like a stand-up comedian. He's not that funny. But he occasionally comes out with some pretty good stuff. You know, he's just naturally, he's just very natural on stage and he can joke around and it's it's cool and it's funny. Ron DeSantis kind of manufactures the authenticity that Trump has naturally. Ron DeSantis is a tough guy. I think he's, he's definitely a right wing guy. I think he believes what he says, 
but he's more of a politician. He's manufacturing that brand. Trump's mm. brand is, I think, very authentic. I think you have a really good point there. I mean, Ron DeSantis is, is so fabulous in Florida, isn't he? He's done such fabulous things, pushing back against work ideology, against Disney, against critical race theory, against children being mutilated thanks to trans ideology. But I think that running for president has actually been very exposing for him. You know, he was very, very kind of safe in Florida. And as you say, Trump is so funny. He's so hilarious. He's so quick-witted and he, he is sharp as a attack. Why do you think DeSantis even chose to run this time round? He's a young guy. He's in his early 40s. He's got a great job. People love him in Florida. He's up against Trump, who's going to do nothing but attack him and attack his brand. And he's going to get compared to Trump. Why run now? Why 2024? Oh, I can tell you exactly why. I mean, I know people connected to Donald Trump and they've told me exactly why. Mm. And it's that you've got all the you've got a what they call in America the donor class, right? The donor class is a group of millionaires and billionaires that go around and they make decisions on who they want to run for president. And they will court you and they will come to you and they will say, listen, this is our plan for you to be president. And they'll say, you're so pretty and you're so smart <laughs> and you're so charming. <laughs> We want you to be president. And you see how as soon as Ron DeSantis decided to run for president, he suddenly got super skinny. Yes, yes, he did. <laughs> that was <laughs> that was part of the development of him creating an image that he could become president. The, the problem is he was tempted, right? He was tempted by this donor class of never Trumpers. There's a certain class of people that doesn't like Trump. There's a certain group of people. They're investors. They want to invest in the president. And some of these guys are deep state operators. Mm. They're people that work with government, not in the best interest of the American people, but in their own best interest. A lot of people, they think, oh, the deep state is this like mysterious, uh, you know, Q conspiracy theory. No, no, no. The deep state is very simple. You've got a deep state in, in Australia. You've got a deep state uh, in the UK. You've got a deep state everywhere. Basically, the deep state is just people who are embedded in government for like their whole lives. They're lifelong employees that manufacture policies and whatnot in order to benefit themselves and their friends as opposed to the American people. There are politicians who do this, do the same thing. There's people on Wall Street that do the same thing. There's billionaires that come in and they exert influence, special interest groups, teachers unions, stuff like that. They'll come in and they'll manipulate the policies of the federal government, again, not for the interest of the American people, but for their own best interest. That mm. to me is the deep state. And those are the people that they constantly want money flowing through uh, New York, through the stock exchange, th through D.C., and they want the politicians to go with them with this, and they will enrich these politicians. That's how so many politicians get rich, is they're playing ball. Trump does not play ball. Trump is a, a burr, you know, in, in, you know, in the shoe of the deep state, and they're just like, they want to dig that out. They want to get rid of Trump. They can't stand him because he stops that flow of money. The deep state hates Donald Trump, and that's why Donald Trump needs to be president again. Yeah, it's just extraordinary. The whole thing blows my mind. But thank you. But you've actually just answered a question that I've had for a long time, which is how do American politicians get so rich? I, you know, you have these like multi-billionaires. I'm thinking, is it insider trading? What is it? But yeah, eventually it is It is the donor class. That is so fascinating. And I, speaking again of presidential nominees. And corruption, of course. And yeah. corruption, of course. Rank, rank, rampant corruption. Speaking of presidential nominees, I have to ask you about Vivek Ramaswamy. What do you think uh, of him? He hasn't got a hope in hell, obviously. But again, he's a young guy. He's only about 37. Does he have potential for the future, do you think? 
I, I hate that guy. I hate that guy. <laughs> he's younger than me. He's richer than me. He's smarter than me. He's he's a good looking dude. Yeah, I, I man, I hate that man. No, no, he's fantastic. He's fantastic. He's great. I'm a petty. I'm a petty jerk. But no, no, he's he's a wonderful guy. Honestly, he's very very smart. Uh, look, he's a little bit. I think he likes the the fame. You know, I think mm. he he's got great ideas. And he needs those ideas out in the world. That's how he feels. He's got a compulsion for that, right? And for, for that to happen, he wants to be famous. And, and, and I think that's very smart, right? Yes. But I think that's actually why he's running for president. I, I really don't think he thinks he can be president or he even wants to be president. I think he just wants to be part of the conversation. Mm. And so he's created a sort of a platform for him to be able to do that. Will he be president in the future? Possibly. I mean, there. I could definitely imagine myself voting for that guy. Mm. But I, I don't know if that's specifically what he's really trying to do right now. Some people are saying he wants to be vice president. I'm not so sure that's right. I, I just think he wants the platform. And fair enough. You know, he's he's very wealthy guy. He's, done, he's a very smart guy, very successful guy. And he's got great ideas. So he deserves it. He should build that platform. I think when we're kids and we see the kid in the classroom that's trying to shout and get attention, we get annoyed. Mm. So we have this natural aversion to people who are trying to get attention. But I don't think he's that kid. I think he's doing it. Uh, he's doing he's making a conscious choice to do it. So I think he's trying to get this kind of fame and attention for a specific reason to help the world, you know, just be a better place and get his ideas out there. So I, I actually like the guy a lot. I think he's great. Yeah, I, I like him too, and I'm glad you like him. I think he, I, I was astounded to learn how young he was. I'm like, oh my God, this guy's only like, what, three years older than me? It, it, it's extraordinary what people are doing He's younger than me. Yeah, he's, younger, he's younger than I you. Can't, I can't, it drives me nuts. I'm like, <laughs> why are you so great? I hate you. It's no, infuriating. No, he's he's no, he is he is great. Yeah. I love him, and it is it is infuriating. God bless him. And I'll tell you what, I think he really did the smart thing with the Trump indictment. He came right out and supported yeah. Trump and said, this is political persecution. That is unusual usual for rival nominees. Normally they just attack, but I thought smart move Vivek. One, that's, you know, correct. Of course, this is what's happening. And two, it's a great chance for him to actually court the Trump base, you know, court that giant block of people who loves Trump rather than, you know, polarizing them. So I thought, yep, very, very smart man indeed. Um, now, we have to talk about Dr. Fauci. You know, I can't talk to you and not talk about Dr. Fauci. The other day, Senator Rand Paul referred Dr. Anthony Fauci to the DOJ for prosecution for supposedly yeah. misleading Congress over the National Institute of Health's funding of the Wuhan Institute of Virology's gain-of-function research. Chris, right. Should the American people be worried that a publicly funded federal agency provided financial aid to a lab in Wuhan administered by the Chinese Communist Party? Uh, well, yeah, but I don't. In, in this case, there's an old saying, right? Uh, it's not the crime, it's the cover up. Mm. I don't necessarily think what they were doing was particularly unethical or even a bad idea. I know that's probably, you know, counterintuitive. A lot of people think I'm crazy for saying that, probably. But you got to remember, this lab was set up and funded, I believe, before the Trump administration. Yeah. Right? Qu quite a long time ago. And we have this idea where we don't we don't fund gain of function research in America and we don't do that kind of stuff. We don't study that kind of thing because it's so dangerous. Yeah. But the problem is you kind of need to study that stuff because there could be pandemics that come along and we need to be able to have some kind of defense against them. I understand why somebody would want to do that. Uh, I, I And I kind of like that cowboy mentality of even if there's a law against it, I still want to do it. I kind of like that, right? I, but the problem with Fauci isn't that he set up a private lab and tried to like, because you got to understand, before Trump, 
people didn't even really think of China as the enemy. Yeah. People were all cozy with China thinking this is it. China is kind of like the nerdy guy on Survivor that ends up winning the whole game because people <laughs> totally underestimate him. You know what I mean? So China was like sort of quietly spying on everybody and building up their military and building up their economy. And nobody was really paying attention. Everybody just thought China was still this like third world country. And then Trump comes in and he's like, you know who the biggest problem in the world is? China. And everybody <laughs> said, oh, crap, you know, you're right. We never even thought about that. I think the lab was already there. We were already funding that lab. So, you know, I don't think he thought that that was a danger at the time, even though it very obviously was. So now that they had the lab leak, now that we had the COVID pandemic, now that that could all be traced back to him, hmm. he starts to panic. And he doesn't say, listen, this is how it started. This is, you know, this is how we need to fix it. He goes, you, it, it came from a wet market. It came from, somebody ate a bat. That's what happened. It's like, well, no. Well, no, actually, you did it. Mm. And you just don't want to, you know, he got scared. He panicked, okay? That was really his, the crime wasn't the crime. The crime was the cover-up of the crime. So mm. to me, that's really what we got to worry about. These politicians that panic and like want to cover, you know, cover their bum. And Fauci is the worst. I mean, he just immediately started lying and he hasn't stopped lying since. That's that's yeah. Fauci's big problem right now, I think. I think you're absolutely right, Chris. And I'm, I love that you just brought up how Trump used to say China, because as we know, there's that meme going around of, I think, a cat lying on its back. And the text is, sometimes I just miss the way he said China. And that is one <laughs> of the many things that I miss about Donald Trump. Chris Coles, just very, very quickly, Tell everyone how they can find you online. Oh, you got to watch my YouTube channel, mm -hmm. Mr. Reagan. Uh, that's I, I, I've started another channel called Alpha Critic, where I review modern films and talk about how crappy they are compared to old films. <laughs> uh, but that's that's a smaller channel. If you like that kind of stuff, you can subscribe to Alpha Critic. But uh, Mr. Reagan's my main channel there on YouTube. You can also follow me on uh, Twitter, Mr. Reagan USA. Chris Coles, a.k.a. Mr. Reagan, we love you. Thank you so much for your time this evening. Well, that's all we've got time for tonight on The Daisy Cousins Show. Thank you all so much for joining me. It has been a delight to host you this evening, and I do hope you enjoyed the program. Please join me next week and every week for more of my take on the state of reality as we know it. Good night, world. I'll see you very soon.